Welcome to Huntersville Lutheran Sermon Webcast. We invite you to join us here for worship every Sunday at 10 a.m. Find out more at huntersvillelc.com. Thank you for joining us today. Last week when I, when I introduced this sermon series on Jonah, I told you that it was, a, it was a story I absolutely love. I really do love the story of Jonah because in Jonah, there is a, a picture of every single person here this morning. In Jonah, you get a picture of a, a, a man who was called by God to a specific station in life, just like all of you are, called to fill out and carry out specific roles, be it father or mother, son or daughter, friend or neighbor. In Jonah, you also get a picture of what we sometimes do, of people who have a tendency to run away from the callings that God gives us because we're either scared or we don't feel well-equipped enough or, or we think that the calling simply is just going to be too hard. I mean, this is what we looked at last week, right? That, that Jonah ran away from all of the callings that God had given him, specifically the, the calling to be a prophet to the nation of Nineveh. But another reason that I love the story of Jonah is, is maybe not so much about Jonah and what he shows me about myself, but, but about what Jonah's story shows us about God. That in spite of ourselves, in spite of all of our running, that we have a God who treats us with grace upon grace upon grace. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, but treats us with this arrow pointing down love that is founded in his son. I just love the story of Jonah because of what it shows us. I truly do. I also used to love the prayer that Jonah prays in, in Jonah chapter 2, this great cry from the deep that he, that he prays. I used to think of it as a, as a model prayer that every Christian should pray and used to is the operative word here. I used to think that it was the prayer that when somebody is stuck in the depths of this life, be it, be it caused by some sort of sin that, you, that, it, that is entangling your heart, be it because of some sort of loss you face, maybe the loss of a loved one or the breaking up of a relationship. I, this used to be the very prayer that I would go to when I was having a hard time in, in high school and in college. And, and even up until really I began to restudy this, this text again. And for the most part, Jonah's prayer is pretty great, but there's a problem with the prayer. It's that most of the time this prayer is read on its own by itself. And on its own by itself, outside of the context of the story of Jonah, this prayer is amazing. This prayer is made up of almost entirely of, of quotations from the, the Psalms of David, which shows you something about Jonah's life. Not only was he a prophet of God, but he prayed through these Psalms enough in his personal devotional life that he knew them. Knew them well enough to recite them while he's stuck in this belly of this great fish. But when you read the story of Jonah and you read this prayer in context of this story, this prayer really isn't as great as I once thought it used to be. In fact, the prayer is kind of nauseating. It, it really is. You know, sometimes biblical texts, they require you as a pastor to speak pretty sensationally about a topic. I try really hard to guard against that, not to use overly emotive stories or, or to play on your emotions. But this text from Jonah chapter 2, it requires a little bit of sensationalism when you're talking about it. Because look at the very place where Jonah is praying. You have people all over scripture praying, uh, praying at different places. In scripture, you have people praying on mountainsides. You have people praying at fords and rivers. You have people praying next to graves and in homes. But, but nowhere else in scripture, nowhere else in scripture do you find somebody praying in the belly of a great fish. And it's not just the location that makes this biblical text so sensational. It's also the way that, that God actually ends this prayer. God doesn't end this prayer with a doxology. Jonah doesn't end it with an amen. There's no quiet time of reflection from Jonah. The Lord ends this prayer abruptly and suddenly and sensationally in a way that, in fact, Jonah would never forget. The Lord 
commanded Jonah, or the Lord commanded the fish, and the fish vomited Jonah. That's pretty sensational. But that's also why we have to talk about vomit this morning. Right, I don't want you to think back to your college days or think about the last time that one of your kids was sick in the middle of the night with the flu. That's, that's not what I want to do. And in fact, you're probably thinking this morning, this is the last thing, vomit, that I thought I would be thinking about or talking about on a Sunday morning. Maybe it's not even something you want to think about. But in order to really understand what's going on here in Jonah chapter 2, you've got to wrestle with this, this concept of vomit biblically. It seems like such a, a strange thing, I know. But, but bear with me. Take, for example... In, in the Bible, when, when somebody vomits, it's always because someone or something is making them sick. Sometimes in the Bible, the, the people's sins make the land so sick that the land vomits them out. Sometimes people drink a little bit too much of the Lord's wrath against sin, and it causes them to vomit. I think you get the point, right? When somebody is nauseated, when somebody is sick, it's because someone or something is making them do that. And in Jonah chapter 2, there is someone or something that is making that fish nauseated. There is someone or something that is causing this fish to have this, this nasty thing going on in his stomach. And it's not like in the pictures, right? Like sometimes you see in Sunday school material the picture of Jonah, how the whale, the, not the whale, it never is referred to as a whale. That's an unfortunate King James translation from the Gospels. Don't call it a whale, call it a great fish came out as a slip of the tongue. Anyway, in Sunday school materials, sometimes what you end up seeing is that this great fish just kind of plops himself nicely out on the beach and opens his mouth, and it looks like Jonah's just marching right out. Right, that's not what happened. Chapter ten, or verse 10 of chapter 2, the fish vomited Jonah. It's not like, the, it's not like in, in Jonah chapter 2 there was a, a ramp where, where Jonah could just walk out. No, the fish vomited Jonah. Right, the, the narrator in Jonah chapter 2 is, is using a very emotive, descriptive, sensational way of telling us about what happened to put you right here in the action of the story in the middle of this prayer, a prayer that I used to think was a model prayer for Christians to pray, but, but now I, I kind of think of it as a prayer that's nauseating. I mean, the entire prayer is, is almost completely nauseating, and, and you have to take a really good, hard, honest look at it and when you do, I think you'll find it nauseating too, because this whole prayer is really subtle and subversive in what, in what Jonah does. Take a look at even how he opens this, opens this uh, prayer. Right, right. Remember I said that, that almost the whole prayer are quotations from Psalms, most notably of King David's Psalms. Well, the first thing that Jonah says is a quote from Psalm 120. Psalm 120 says, to the Lord I called out. But what does Jonah say? I called to the Lord. It's all really subtle and subversive, and that really doesn't seem like that big of a deal that Jonah would reverse words, but it really, it tells you who's at the very center of this prayer right here. It's not the Lord, it's Jonah. In fact, if you go through this entire prayer in Jonah chapter, in, in Jonah chapter 2 and count the number of times that Jonah refers to himself versus the number of times that Jonah refers to the Lord, the, the numbers aren't even close. Jonah refers to himself 24 times, referring to the Lord only 16 times. It's like Jonah in the belly of this fish is throwing himself this own little pity party for one, which consequently actually does in Jonah chapter 4 when God takes away that vine that he gave him as a gift. Jonah is sitting there in the belly of the fish throwing a pity party for one instead of calling on 
and in trusting in the great and powerful name of the Lord. It's nauseating. But that's not even the most nauseating part. Look at what he does and who he places blame on for the situation that he's in. He places it all on God. He says, you hurled me. You threw me into the sea. God, this is all your fault. Right? And, and to a certain extent, he's right. Like this, this was God's plan. But, but the problem is, where's the sorrow? Where's the repentance? Where's the penitent attitude that you would expect somebody to have who's, who was sinking down into the bottom of the ocean and God rescued him with a giant fish? You would expect a cry from the deep to, uh, from a guy like Jonah to sound something like, Lord, I, I recognize that what I've done to you here is wrong and I deserve this. Lord, I recognize that I endangered countless lives on that ship by running away from your calling. Lord, I recognize that everything that I have done is wrong and I have wronged you and I deserve this, but it is from you and you alone that salvation comes and it is you who has rescued me from the deep. That's the prayer that you would expect. That's not really the prayer that you get. Instead, throughout this whole prayer, you don't see really any sort of change in Jonah, any change at all. You see a, a shallow form of repentance. You see oh, a number of things that we'll get to in a, in a few minutes here. But Jonah never actually agrees to go and do the very thing that God called him to do in the first place. He blames being hurled into the ocean on God. He says, I'm, he doesn't say I'm not going to, or I'm going to go to Nineveh. Instead, he makes a promise to go to the exact opposite of Nineveh. He says he's going to go to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices to God, but that's still not necessarily the thing that God wants him to do. It's all nauseating what Jonah is praying here. It's a completely self-centered and shallow prayer, but he's still not done digging himself a hole yet. He still digs himself deeper into the deep, so to speak, because what he does next is throw those sailors those sailors who were with him on the ship right before he was tossed overboard, he throws them right under the ship too. Now, we didn't spend a whole lot of time talking about those sailors uh, last week, but it's an important sub-story in the, in the bigger story of Jonah. Now, these sailors, they were pagan. They were people who worshipped other gods. But in the midst of this storm where they were fearing for their life completely, thought they were going to lose it, they have this massive change of heart and of religion. Instead of calling on the, the, their pagan gods, their false gods, like, they, like the captain was doing just before he went down to wake up Jonah, instead they call on the Lord. They cry out to the Lord and, and ask him not to be angry with them. Don't be angry with us for, for taking this man's life because we know that you have done what you have pleased. And immediately after that, after Jonah was thrown overboard, we're told that these sailors, they, they sacrificed to God and they made vows to God. Essentially, these, these sailors, they, they ran away from their false gods and they began to fear and to worship God. And what Jonah does is he ends up playing the comparison game with them. He de devalues everything that they did, this change of heart that they had. And then he says, those who cling to worthless idols... He's talking about these sailors. Those who cling to worthless idols run away from God, your love, God. But I will offer you with shouts of praise, sacrifice. Jonah holds himself in a pretty favorable light to these sailors, doesn't he? He's basically saying, God, look at how good I am. God, look at how I'm worshiping you. Even here in this belly of the whale, I am singing your psalms. I am singing your praises. I've made promises to go to Jerusalem, maybe not necessarily to Nineveh, but at least to Jerusalem to offer these sacrifices. God, I, I don't even really know why I'm in the belly of this fish at all. 
It's just nauseating. Jonah is quite literally nauseating. He's totally delusional, isn't he? In this delusion, he can't see himself with any ounce of clarity. He's quite literally nauseating. So nauseating, in fact, that the fish vomits him up on shore. It's not just Jonah's character that's nauseating, because his character flows from something deep inside of him, from his heart. And so it's not just Jonah's character that's nauseating, it's Jonah's heart that's nauseating. The prophet Jeremiah, one of God's prophets, uh, talks about the human heart in this way, that it's, that it's uh, deceitful above all and there is no cure. Who can understand it? Jonah's heart was deceitful above all. He lived in this reality of self-deception that couldn't see himself or his sinful actions in any sort of real clarity at all. He had this shallow repentance. He played the comparison game with people. His prayer is completely self-centered. Me, 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 me. Jonah is nauseating. His heart is nauseating. If we take a good, hard, honest look at at our own hearts, I, I think we have to say the same thing about our hearts. That our hearts are deceitful above all else. That we can't see ourselves with any real sense of clarity at all. We have no idea how sin has even, has even clung to our hearts. There are ways in which it clings to our hearts that we don't even know or can't admit. And even when we can see that, are we ready to admit it? We don't know how our, uh, how our prayers make creation nauseated because we're not praying from the belly of a from the belly of a great fish, but well, we tend to do the same things that Jonah did. Have a shallow repentance, have a heart that's delusional, and play the comparison game. So it's not just Jonah who's nauseating. It's me. It's you. It's every sinful human being. Kind of hard, isn't it? Hard to see that prayer in this light. Hard to see yourself as someone who is nauseating. But when you read Jonah's prayer with a good, hard, honest look in Jonah chapter 2, I mean, this is what you, this is what you see. This is what you're forced to see. And the reason I take so much time to point all of this out, Jonah's nauseating character and heart, your character and my character, is for one simple reason. It's because it shows how utterly relentless is, how utterly relentless the Lord is in pursuing each and every one of you. Take, for example, the way that the Lord treated Jonah, the way that the Lord acted toward Jonah. He saved him, right? When Jonah wanted to run away, God sent a storm to save him from himself. When Jonah tried to commit a suicidal act, God sent a fish to save him from himself. And then God had that fish vomit him up on dry land. And all of this is because God made him a promise that said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. And Jonah's running couldn't stop the Lord from keeping that promise. Jonah's suicidal act couldn't stop the Lord from keeping that promise. Not even Jonah's attempt, again, to not go to Nineveh, but to run away back to Jerusalem. Not even that could stop the Lord from keeping his promise. The Lord is absolutely and utterly relentless in pursuing Jonah. 
And that God, that same God is the one who has promised you that very thing, that very promise that never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, even though your hearts are just like Jonah's and your character is often like Jonah's, this nauseating character, this nauseating heart. God makes you this promise. And he does something better. He has drawn near to you through the cross of the one who is greater than Jonah. Jesus. It's kind of ironic, isn't it, that, that the only human being that Jesus compares himself in the gospel, the only human being that Jesus compares himself to in the gospel is Jonah. Right? Because it's not that much harder, it's not that hard to be greater than Jonah, isn't it? Or is it? He's delusional. He's nauseating. He runs from God. He tries to, he, he throws himself overboard in, a, in another attempt to escape God, right? It's not that much harder. It's not that hard to be greater than Jonah at all. And yet it's important to remember that. That it is through God's grace that God saved Jonah. It is through God's grace that God allowed Jonah to save an entire ship full of people. It is through God's grace that God allowed him to save an entire city of wicked men. Jesus is far greater, far, far greater than Jonah. Because he has drawn near to you through his cross. And on that cross, he didn't just save a ship full of people or a city of men. No, he saved the entire world. Jesus is far, far greater than Jonah because he didn't make a a fish sick. He didn't cause a fish to vomit. He caused a grave to vomit. He made the grave so sick that it spit Jesus out. Jesus made death so deathly ill that death itself died. Jesus is far, far greater than Jonah. And it is this Jesus, your Jesus, who clings to you no matter how nauseating you are, no matter how sick your sin makes him. He continues to cling to you day after day after day with that promise that says, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And he has taken that stink of sin that, it, that, it, that reeks from your heart and he has washed you clean from it in his blood, making you a pure and holy child of God. This is your Jesus, the Jesus who is greater than Jonah. He has taken you from one extreme to another. He has taken you from this stinking, miserable, sinful creature to someone who is a pure and holy child of God. And he has promised to take you from that, that beach, that, that dry land, to paradise. And sit you down at a banquet where there are incomparable riches. Riches that you and I can't even begin to fathom. Riches that you and I don't deserve or earn at all. And yet he gives them to him because of grace on top of grace on top of grace. You know, as much as I say that, that Jonah's prayer is nauseating. There's one redeeming quality about it. One statement that I I really do think that he got right. Jonah said toward the end of the prayer, salvation comes from the Lord. It was true for him and he saw it in a couple different ways. He saw it when the, the fish swallowed him. He saw it when the fish vomited him. He saw it when God saved the entire city of the Ninevites, which we'll talk about next week. He saw it at the end of his life when God welcomed him home to heaven. He was right. Salvation comes from the Lord. 
even for nauseating creatures like you and me. Amen.